In northeastern Pennsylvania, there's a town called Centralia. Centralia was once a thriving coal mining community, home to thousands of people. But in May of 1962, a fire was started in a garbage dump near an open coal seam. The fire was thought to be extinguished, but actually continued underground, often releasing gas and flame to the surface above, until the town of thousands eventually dwindled to less than a dozen. The fire still rages today and shows no sign of stopping. The following podcast is in no way related to Centralia, Pennsylvania. And now, direct from New York City, an island off the coast of America, it's the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. This is Les Nessman calling in from Thanksgiving over Cincinnati, where we're doing our annual turkey drop. (laughs) In our last chat with Jay, we talked about obscure references. That's proof. Come on, that's a classic. Proof right there. Les Nessman of WKRP in Cincinnati. WKRP. The Gen Wires love the KRP stuff. Lonnie Anderson. Do you still have a poster of Lonnie Anderson on your wall, Matt? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I love how Matt always does a yes and. Yeah. I do. But you can hear in his brain, yeah. oh, God, what am I saying yes to? <laughs> but he is tra- he's trained. He's trained. He so that was just basically a yes. There was no and on that. There's no and. It was just, yeah, yeah I, I It do. wasn't the, it's in my kitchen, it's in the bedroom. Mm. Right. So uh, we're all here. This is the first Centralia Improvisational Podcast that we're all here. We should do the intro. Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. 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 That's pretty good. Um, so today's theme, ostensibly, is group mind. Uh, we picked that as our first group chat, largely because I think we have a bit of a reputation from having a group mind. Like when people talk about our, our work together, they often say, oh, it's like you, you're all together in your brain space no one says that that's me paraphrasing they use other words but we're sort of known for like um picking up each other's offers pretty quickly and i attribute that to the concept of group mind does everybody have a definition for group mind i'm still looking up ostensibly um apparently or purported matt i'm sending you the definition through group mind check your check your group mind inbox please this podcast brought to you by group mind check that spam box and be careful looking through my trash from my group mind there's some stuff in there i'm not comfortable with you seeing just all things group just make sure it's group mind all right i think we defined it um Actually, we didn't. So when we say group mind, what are, what, what are we talking about? Sort of one mind working. One, one mind. We're of one mind. We're of one mind. So, so the idea, it's, it's like a Carl Jungian concept of synchronicity. The idea that you all have the same thought, the same reaction at the same time. When I think of group mind, I think of like, uh, oh, God. Um <sighs> <laughs> oh, that, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, yeah. We're all in the same totally. space. Totally. 
totally, 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 totally. I think the group mind goes to the limbic part of the brain where the creep up the spine and the chill up the back of the neck and the anxiety lives. Because I think we are fastest, at least this quartet of people, are fastest on picking up the group mind when it's connected to a strong emotion and it's a moment on stage where it's the oh, oh crap moment. That for me, including... Uh, what am I going to say next? Or I'm on the edge of the cliff is for me when the group mind really kicks in and it's almost like an instinct or like a preservation instinct where, oh my God, I hope these guys are there for me. That I, I could not agree with you more. I think that's a really great observation, but I also think that that in and of itself is sort of like what people do in general. I think when there's any crisis and you look over at another human being, hopefully there's some sort of transference of uh information in that moment and it's usually through some kind of emotional state i think what we don't notice is how we're working in the moments between those moments that that to me is really what group mind is when we're working seamlessly together the moments of crisis of course or i wouldn't say crisis but of um but big moments but moments with a, a big emotional reaction or a big kinetic physical reaction that's when i really feel like i'm letting go of any sort of um what could be's you know possible scenarios um you know where i'm not playwriting it's very you know we we do a lot of mirror transformation stuff where we're all making the same sound and movement and it's growing at the same time that's when i really feel like i let go uh in into a, a group space right where i'm not making decisions i'm just discovering what's happening yes yeah i totally i totally agree that it's um it, i think it, it, as you're saying patrick you know there's those times of uh of you know those those uh, heightened moments of eye contact and and we're we're seeing each other. I guess for the for the people who are listening, uh, who are not improvisers, who might not you know uh, quite get this concept of group mind. I guess the thing it's like when uh, if you you know when you were a kid and you're 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 with your friends and um, there's that that moment where uh, maybe a teacher calls you out on something or an adult does, and you and your friends all just have that eye contact together and that moment of you all being on the same page. I would say that would be a moment of, of group mind. Um, and for, for us, really, it's kind of like sustaining that connection um, beyond that and just, and, and just being in that, in that state. Um, of a, It's basically, I think, a state of agreement where we're all on the same page and uh, yeah, and I think that's just, you know, that's basically what it is, being on the same page. So is anybody like, you know, we can talk about what it feels like when we're in it, but how do you get to that space? How do you get into a group mind? Not necessarily, you know, as Centralia, as, as our ensemble, but you've all directed and coached groups and, and, and taught thousands of hours of classes. Are there any exercise that you exercises you use to get group mind going with with groups i like to encourage students to all read the same book in a class and in an advanced level if i get them all reading the same book and that is the bible i hear that's the only book Jay. you don't have to define it when we say the book we're referring to the bible mm -hmm. fyi the the book 
the same book, the good the book. The Lord's book, which has done so much to benefit humanity. That's why the world is perfect. Thank you, religion. This podcast brought to you by religion. Godcast. Godcast. Brought to you by religion. Okay, so you can read the same book. Um, what, what are some other things? I like the idea of reading a book or sharing newspaper articles or even just having a conversation about something that matters to you. Not, not mindless chit chat, but bringing up something that you're going through and then, you know, listening to other people's stories. Yeah. History, history is very helpful. Having some sort of history, some sort of personal connection. Do you guys think that like going out after class to, to a pub or, or, you know, after a show, before a show, do you think that helps get group mind, you know, like the social hang? Or do you think it should be in a more formal setting? Here's a here's an unbelievable... Go ahead, Matt, but yeah. No, we're having group mind. I knew you were going to interrupt me, and I just wanted to have a moment demonstrating that I was waiting for you. <laughs> Give and take. Anyway. <laughs> this is where I know to jump in, because they're both going to wait and speak. So I'll just go ahead and start speaking so someone takes the space from me. Because we do a lot of giving and taking of the and space. And I've got it right now. And Matt Higgins for the layup. Uh, yeah, so uh, thank you for that. Um, well, uh, Kevin, what, what you're talking about, like uh, your, the first, uh, your initial question, like talking about like how do, you get, uh, how do you get into the group mind or how do you get people there? Um, for me, I like to, like in terms of a class, I like to sort of facilitate uh, a state of play. Like so without even sort of talking about just getting, uh, getting, whipping up the fun and getting the room into a place where we've even forgotten really that we're working and we're just, everyone's laughing and we're, we're, we're laughing on you know, at the same thing, we're, we're really enjoying like the very same moment, like the focus is super clear and we're having fun and we're in this state of play. And as soon as we sort of are there and we're sort of there for a while, I, I like to recognize that. And, and any, any particular and that games that, that you use the... to, to get people playing like that? Are you playing like children's schoolyard games or these like improv games? You know, it it uh, yeah. So definitely, um, sort of, uh, you know, any kind of uh, warm up game, whether it's it could be simple, something very simple like bippity boppity boo. I play a game I love called Magic Cup, and we just have to keep this cup up in the air, and um, you're literally just hitting the cup like a hacky sack. Yeah, we're just batting a batting it up in the with an open hand, and we're just keeping you know A B C D. We work our way through the alphabet, and um, it's super fun. So for me, it's like really in terms of how to get into that group mind. For me, it's through uh, personally, it's through play, and uh, I feel like when everyone is engaged in the same uh, game or the same thing. Uh, you know, when we're all there together, playing that that same game, then we are uh, we are all in that group mind. I like to have everyone hold hands and say the Our Father. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Religion Incorporated. Well, you know, well, actually, you know, it's I I know that you're 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 kidding, Patrick, but at the same time, you know, I do think that like when it really can happen. Like it could happen through play. Some people, 
uh, could get there, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe if they're church going folk, you know what I mean? They get there through singing or, uh, you know, maybe a singing a spiritual or something. I do think that people can kind of get connected. Basically, I, for me personally, it's just really being connected uh, with a large group. Yeah, I, 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 I want to double down on the, the vote for singing. I think singing is a great way to get at a different part of the brain. It turns the thinking off. You don't even need to make the song up, just singing. And crucial in our experience is getting one of the many, many very talented accompanists slash musicians who play with us and make us look good on stage. Like Ian Leroy. Yeah, and, and lots of other folks whose names we will want to say on this, on this webcast to be appropriate and appreciative of them. Nick Balaban. Stuart Bogey. Benji Goldsmith. Absolutely. Noel Katz. Ian Miller. To name just a few. Billy Joel. Elton John. Jerry Garcia. Frank Spitznagel. That's right. Randy Newman. That, that's right. Keith Richards. Dr. Johnny Fever. I love L.A. Um, so it, uh, I think that, and also contact improvisation, which does yet another part of the brain. And um, what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get away with and doing unsuccessfully right now is trying to think up smart-ass stuff to say. And those two things, singing and in contact improvisation, turn the verbal off and turn the um, spatial brain on, you know, and so that we start to feel each other, uh, you know, in, in almost an instinctive way. I think that's really useful. What about getting past the block of like embarrassment or the or the you know the the self monitoring or, or filtering that people go through, especially people that are like in a workshop, they're in a level one or a level two, a beginning improviser, who may feel embarrassed about contact improv or or singing. You know, people who are used to performing are are, are less inhibited. But how do you get those people to that point of 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 you know letting go? Um, I personally, I just try to let people know that they have uh, absolute permission to feel that way, you know? To you feel embarrassed. Totally, yeah, you totally go ahead and, and you totally, you know, I can't tell someone not to feel something, so you're, that's fine to feel that way. It's, uh, it's a perfectly valid emotion. And um, and to uh, and to know that uh, that improvisation really for me is really all about transformation and moving through emotions and moving through levels and heightening and exploring. So so trust that you're not going to stay there, but you're definitely uh, you know. Well, we that's all, interesting. We all that feel it's, that it's not a permanent state. You're going to move through the embarrassment into into something else. Well, so that's that's what a now. scene is, really, right? right. So, um, a scene for again, like uh, I think this is also subjective, but the way I see a scene is that there's a change in something. There's a change in, uh, you know, an emotional state, and so uh, you know, if two people are just sort of sitting there talking and there's no change. Then that's a really that could be a great conversation, but I don't see that as being a scene. I think there's a difference between a conversation and a scene, and for me there has to be a change. Yeah, I have the same same definition. I tell my students that uh, you know a scene is about events that lead a character or characters toward a permanent change. Oh crap! I gotta I gotta go back and do some uh, reading, guys. So what about? Can we circle back to the question about? 
going out after the show, how do you how much of the social interaction is needed to like get people to trust each other and like each other and know each other? If you don't mind, I have a quick Dell story I'd like to tell. Dell who? Dell Close. Uh, Matt will back me up on this one. And who's Dell Close? Dell Close. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hold on, Del, Matt. You can go ahead and tell me who Dell was. Matt, are you awake? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. I have the no, I, I was setting you up. I was setting you up. That's it how we do it. Reminds me of. Uh, I worked with uh, Paul Sills, as you guys know. Um, for, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, just falling asleep anytime anyone tells. <laughs> Tells a story of the old days. Back in the 90s, when we were at House of Candles. I love it. <laughs> Kevin, um, yep. I, as far as like hanging, like going to, like, it, it's different because, like, if you would have asked me this back in my 20s, maybe. Like last year? Uh, yeah, and I would have, yeah, exactly. I would have answered it differently. But, um, you know, like, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing because, um, I, I, I associate a lot of uh, like those times with like drinking or, or whatever and stuff like that. And so for me, like I don't know if I used those times after shows as constructively as I would, as I should have, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like if I like one thing that I'll say, like even before like a class, like an improv class, like on the first day, I'll. I'll like, I'll tell people like I don't have any judgment for people who drink or smoke weed or whatever. I just ask that you don't come into my class um, under the influence of of anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, and I feel that um, I, I get like I sometimes when I come out of class and I see some people smoking weed or doing whatever they're doing, uh, I just want to say like, hey totally that's totally cool if you do that but i just want to let you know it's possible you might waste 10 years doing that wow wow no i i I was never a partier you know i I still don't hang out you know for the sake of drinking i I hang out to talk about improv i yeah i totally hang out to nerd out and it kind of gets annoying you know what um my my wife she hates it that all I want to do is talk about, I'll do an hour long show and then I want to talk about it for five hours. So echoing what, um, I want to piggyback off what Matt was saying. Why don't you tag on that? I want, I want to, why don't you hook up a sidecar to that note? I want to hook up yeah. a sidecar. I want to play Robin to Matt's Batman and sit on the side of his motorcycle while he, do you think sidecars are still a thing? I the drink them. or the thing on a motorcycle? A sidecar. Give me a sidecar. You know, I, I agree. Like, um, getting caught up in the bar community is is a, is definitely a trap. I know it was for me. But uh, I think a group activity like going to see a movie or going to an art show or going to a dance show. You know, we used to do all that um, back when we worked with Adele. Uh, he would encourage that. Um, actually, no, they're just... <laughs> 
And really, I just continually spread his message. Because the thing about opening yourself up to other types of theater as an improv troupe is that will ultimately inform the work. So, if you, you know, the old myths of like going to the bar and drinking and talking politics, because that's what the... Uh, uh, you know the the Karl Marx people used to do. That's that's I sh I'm sure it's. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't drink anymore, as you guys know. None of us really drink, which is why another thing that I think we're we're operating in a sober place, so we have access to emotions and vulnerability that we wouldn't if we were all, or especially me. I can only speak for myself. If I was still using. Um, so encouraging like everyone to go to the bar and play is, is really sort of diminishing their their capability of really being able to fully access what they can bring to a stage. And using before you go on stage is automatically treating improvisation as an unprofessional thing. And people complain that it never pays. Well, of course, if you're going to approach it unprofessionally, then you shouldn't be treated professionally. Damn. Whoa. That was great. Pat with the sick burn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, an exercise that I've uh, found value in recently is uh, is the styles game. You know, when you list all the different styles, like a horror movie or, or whatever, and um, you kind of like throw them out there uh, and play in like different styles. One thing that like I. My daughter Kirsten and I took a workshop uh, years back, an improv workshop together. And this guy, he was he was talking about how all of those styles are there for us. And when we're in a scene and we're improvising, and all of a sudden we start to feel like, oh man, this is a uh, this is a, this feels like a, a a crime drama. You know, he he was saying just go ahead and drop into that style and and play it. And um, and that who, who was teaching that workshop? Was that Dell? Uh, no, it was not Dell. It was someone in Austin, Texas, actually. I forget who it was. Um, Tom Tom Booker. I don't know. Tom Booker. No, no, no. no Tom Booker. Who was a a guest like a guest there at the uh, at the festival that was down there? And out of bounds. Breaking Bad. Yeah. You guys, I can do a pretty time, good Tom Booker. I had a woman in my class who had studied with him, and I was like, hi, it's Tom Booker. And she didn't appreciate it. She oh, did not no. like She thought it was an eerie impression. It was too good. And you guys would, too, if you... I remember seeing him in Code Prison Sluts, though, back in yep. the 90s. And Huge the... impression on me, the, the Annoyance Theater in Chicago. Yes. And that's all about group mind through decadence, right? Yeah. I mean, they were like celebrating decadence. It was like, I suppose that's one way to have be very orgiastic about the whole thing. Um, that's one way to find uh, contact improv and group mind. But it's also another way, uh, you know, I think people should be keep their personal lives private and agree that we're doing some sort of art together. If you yeah, become I, friends I, I like along the way... Said. I like what you said about, you know, going on artist dates, if you will. I remember specifically when I first moved to New York, Higgins was already here. He was already kind of semi-famous. And there was, an, Still am. there was an art show at the Whitney. It was a retrospective of Bill Viola's work. And I really wasn't that familiar with Bill Viola. Bill oh, Viola. yeah. Bill Viola Spolin? Bill Viola Spolin. And, you know, he's a video artist worked on large scale one of the yeah he was awesome 
He's still around? To... He's still around. He does largely like religious stuff. I saw a new piece of his in London last summer that was uh, quite impressive. Where he was doing you guys certain... are not going to believe this, but I'm actually quarantining with him right now. What? 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 He's in my apartment. Could you put him on the podcast? <laughs> hey. 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 Guys? Matt, what? Matt told me to take a break from uh, building a big piece of art to come and talk to you guys. Pat, you're fired as the group's chief impressionist. <laughs> Mr. Viola, Mr. Viola, I just want to say, first of all, you sound nothing like I imagined you would sound like. <laughs> Tell him what he won. Tell, here's what you won. You won religion. Um, but the Bill Viola show, I went to this Bill Viola show. And it was impressive. The Bill Viola show. It was like, it's like figures walking in slow motion uh, and giant walls of fire behind them. It left an impression on me, and we started adding video to our shows. And it was largely because of this experience of Bill Viola. I was so impressed. And it came out of Matt saying, there's this really awesome thing. So I knew it was something he liked, that I liked it. It's like, okay, now there's something we share that's artistic that we can build upon. And the video's been part of our show ever since. And I really think it goes back to that suggestion to go see that show. That's exactly why i encourage them to start reading in the same book which you can rarely do these days or go see a play the the unfortunate well this is all pre-quarantine there were so many improvisers were just seeing other improv so outside work wasn't really influencing improvisation which is why in my opinion it became quite stagnant and uninspired right. but then again i was gone for many years but when i came back um you know, yeah, we were were rooted in. Yeah, I saw that in Bill Viola's show. Let's bring it into our show, or the Worcester Group, or the Beatles. Famously, all went to a uh, Rene Magritte. You know, a surrealist painter mm -hmm. went to see his show, and then they did Sgt. Pepper's. Right. Yeah, you need to be. You know, you need to be a, constantly evolving as an artist and constantly inspired. In my opinion, that's well, what I, I mean. Need. Well, we're we're putting forth the premise there that improvisation is an art form i believe it's as legitimate uh as any sort of theatrical art form can be i think it can transcend and become and, and it's its own form it can be dance it can be theater it can be i believe that well, i don't know what you guys think i think it can be it can draw from watching really great non-improvised art and theater and listening to that and even eating that i think like the show that we all enjoyed i think we all saw at the public a couple years ago the low road yeah. um and and for me tony kushner's work and the staging of you know angels in america just these imaginative magic realist time uh, you know, uh, not stuck to the strictures of time and different kinds of storytelling are, are highly engineered, highly thought through, not improvised, come from a single writer's brain through a single director's thinking, probably, you know, draw on different things. But these are highly non-improvisational, and yet they have, I think, and many other things, Bill Viola, stimulate, at least for me and I think for all of us, a real... Um, uh, it stimulates the imagination in such a way where if I uh, get in the room with you or, or any group of improvisers who are really listening to each other, we're going we're gonna to just trigger all sorts of um, uh, references and collective unconscious and, and spooky stuff in the brain. And it's all frequently just comes from stuff that we've seen that's highly authored and not improvisational. Right. And that is Group Mind. 
yeah, you said collective unconscious. That I think that's another term. Um, you know, that is kind of the same thing as as group mind. Although collective unconscious would imply the audience is in that same space as well, the zeitgeist, if you will. What are some advantages you guys think to being uh, in a in a steady group versus like jumping in with with a you know, a, you know, like in the house team system, it's every six months you're in a different group. Do you think um, it's better to be in a group that is outside of that kind of system where you can keep the same ensemble for a long time? You, we, we've been in a group together for so long um, that I, it, it's like a permanent part of my life. I, this, the relationship with this group is longer than any other relationship in my life, uh, but for my, you know, my family, people. Was, and I don't, but I don't really speak to them that often, so... This probably is my family. So I feel um, safe in like jumping into other groups and other shows. You know, Patrick and I were both in uh, Big Black Car and BBC Two for a while, you know, a side group that we did for a number of years. Um, and I really enjoyed performing with, you know, outside other groups as a way to, I think it's, it's, not, a, it's not the same as seeing a Bill Viola show. It's more about picking up new improv skills and new language and there's a certain freedom in letting go of being in the same tight ensemble um yeah i mean i i have only worked with this group for um 25 years now and i i wouldn't i wouldn't uh, presume to opine on you know what the hard work and the very adaptive work that people do who do, uh, you know, a, a house team or get shifted in and out of house teams. I certainly don't think I'd have the courage and the stamina to stick with it when, as you hear, people are pulled on and off of and, and, and removed from house teams or don't re-audition and get back on their house teams. That would destroy me. So I, I, my, my hat is off to those people who've got that kind of resilient, emotional resiliency and uh, I think that's a skill and a, and, a, and a competency in and of itself. So I, I wouldn't dare to compare what I do to them. Th yeah, that's I, a whole other thing. I think there's thing. a certain advantage to being able to jump into a team and be good, that you have a certain baseline level of skills, that if you're only performing in an ensemble, you might, you might not be able to do it. When I first started working at the People's Improv Theater, I'd been with Bird Manhattan, which is ostensibly Centralia, for I think we were together like four or five years before the pit started. And I remember I was terrified uh, jumping on stage. There were people from other groups like uh, Neutrino, you know, um, and, and Big Black Car, like the Kristen Shawls and the Ellie Kempers and the Kurt Braunholers. Um, I was so terrified and intimidated to be near them because we did our thing and we had our language and I could always trust that you guys would we would be in a group mind and you would you would get my joke or, or my whatever I was going for. And I was always afraid they wouldn't. But that said, I felt like I was getting on the speed bag, you know, to use a gym reference that like, well, if I can play with these people, if I can go to toe to toe with an Ellie Kemper and hold my own in a scene, then I, I've got some new muscles. You know, I can punch. Don't get me wrong. Nothing beats playing with a, a bunch of guys you've known for 20 years. I don't, I don't want to be like implying that. I just think that it's a nice balance to occasionally be able to, to get out of it and, and try some other stuff, learn some other stuff, which I assume we all do through, through teaching and coaching and doing jams and stuff like that. I, I think so. Um, I, you know, I, 
I, I do a lot of this in the professional world. I'm sure a lot of uh, whoever's listening to this probably do, does it too. And I know Matt and Patrick ha- have as well. Um, it uh, It's not the same. This is sort of the pure home. I, lo- I loved what you said, Kevin. And uh, yeah, um, family. It is a family. Boy, this is getting sappy. Can you put on some kind of sound here's, effect here's or something? some sappy music. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm good. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling super sappy. I'm talking about my vulnerability and my wounded inner child. That's all I have. <laughs> that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with everything that's been said. And um, uh, like like Jay, like I have like the utmost respect for for you know everyone who is really putting themselves out there and um, you know going you know uh, auditioning for teams and things like that and I feel really fortunate to have this group right here because I feel like we are like I don't feel like we have too much to prove to we on one hand we don't have anything to prove to each other so I think that we're very forgiving um, we're understanding of uh, how connected our lives are to what we do and to give each other sort of the space and the freedom to uh, you know take care of business and and all that sort of thing and um, and we know each other and we we know it in some ways I feel like we're not even doing like improv I feel like we're just getting up and clowning and goofing around uh, with each other um and you know all that said you know speaking to the people right now who do audition for uh, a a team someplace and you don't get in um i i would say to those to those people that I, i know that that really hurts and it really it really sucks on some level but at the same time you can just go ahead and do like we did and just move the furniture, literally move the, move the furniture in your living room and, and do it, get some friends together and do it because you love it. Think of it as, uh, as an experiment. And then before you know it, you've, you have something and then you put it out there on your own. And um, all of a sudden, people look at it and go like, hey, I want to be part of that. And you didn't do it because you were creating something to be part of you did because you just love it and um so again like with the respect for everyone on teams and everyone who who auditions for them but also for those people who audition and don't get in you know like i said you know move the furniture in your living room and do it that's what you're you're referencing to something we actually did back in the in the days we had a group called burn manhattan and we 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 were a new group and um we literally made a performance space in an apartment in hell's kitchen uh, in, in Nueva York City, New York City, um, did we have audience people come in, or we just had sort of friends? I had a girlfriend at the time who lived there. No, we didn't have anyone come in other than uh, other than Shira. Right, but it w- we should have. Now looking back, it's like we should have just mm. opened our own performance. You know, space. you're right. <laughs> Regret. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Too late. Yeah, that, that's an important part of group mind is feeling badly and regretful as much as possible. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and sharing it. To live in regret. Well, I just, I just need to talk about regret for a little bit. Um, I feel like, you know, I look back on, like, I, don't, I feel like I haven't done enough regret. And I just feel like it, if I could turn back the clock 
to. I feel the same way. If you, turn back I feel like I haven't carved out enough time in my day to regret. Oh Jesus! I think I did it wrong a couple of times, and I so stupid. If only. Guys, can we record re-record this whole podcast? <laughs> I feel like we didn't do it. Pat, this is the right. third recording of this podcast. Oh my god! I can't remember what I said. We've been at it. It's currently four in the morning, Patrick. I love when people say like, "You can't." Like, if I say something, if I say like, "Oh yeah, I regret this," they go like, "Oh, you can't do that. You can't. Like, you can't regret that. Like, that's." I'm like, "Oh my god, you're right." Ah, but like, now I'm regretting I mean? the fact that I regretted that moment. And it's just built, it's a regret shame spiral. Yeah. So let me ask you this about, you know, we're talking about group mind. What are the practical advantages? I, mean, I know there's one thing in our work. If we bring up sort of a character that we've done before. And, but, you know, there's back in the day we used to do Irish immigrant stories. And Southern know, senators. Pat has Shecky Totoro. The rumpled attorney. Ah, I haven't found. Fa- yeah. Thank you for reminding me. I love Shecky Totoro. I mean, that's one thing I love about. You know, an ensemble, it's, you know, I guess the trap is you're just repeating material. You know, you still want to be sparking. No, I'm all for if I find Jay's doing a a character in a set and I really enjoy that character. And I I want to bring him into another set because I I think somehow he's going to serve the scene and I can explore and heighten different areas of that character. Why not? I mean, I tell young improvisers to do that. I mean, that's part of developing group mind. You know, it's uh, and it's also beneficial for somebody who's trying to audition for some sketch comedy show and they want to flesh out their character. You still behave improvisationally. You just sort of behave as that character in a different scenario. That's the history of improvisation is if you look at Commedia dell'arte in Italy, it was creation of these stock characters that appeared again and again and gradually became these masks and the behavior in the masks and the physicality became known. You immediately knew that character, no matter where you were from. It was like a, a go-to, uh, in every good way, a cliche. And then they'd improvise within the, you know, the character scope. They'd improvise new bits every time. And so I think those those go-to stock characters are are um, uh, reps. It's a way to work your improvisational reps without having to invent. Right, you don't have to invent everything. You know, we we talk a lot about the who, what, where, but the who could be very complex. There's there's a whole character history. There's wants, desires, um, and it's it's very hard to improvise all that stuff. So if you have sort of a bag of stock characters, whether it's a quarter character, half a character, or a full character. Um, you can jump into the scene and improvise the other stuff. You can do emotional improvisation. You can do what Matt was talking about with styles, you know, so you don't have to invent everything um, if if you start sort of halfway there. Um, Yes, uh, and I think we have to wrap it up right about now, Kevin. Well, Jay's got to go. Jay, are you still there? I am, yeah. You you want to say goodbye? I do. Anything else you want to mention about group mind? Uh, would the group mind if I stepped off the call at this oh, point? This has good. been, Woo! oh, come on, come Jay's, on. Jay's a very busy, come we were just talking on. about how we, we allow room for each other. Come on, that maskless jogging doesn't do itself. Oh my gosh. Oh, what? Oh my gosh. What's the matter? Come on. Don't get Come on. Don't get my cup. Irish up. C- c- you cover my mouth, group mind. Why don't you cover my mouth? Why don't you come over here and cuff? Oh my God, Bill Viola is kicking Jay's ass. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Please don't hurt the piano player. Play some music. Play some music. Oh, what's the appropriate music? Do you have any cat? I don't. That's the only music I got. That was Jay Roderick, everybody. Jay Roderick. Jay Roderick. All right. Great guy. All right, boys and girls, have a good day and uh, keep your feet on the ground. Keep reaching for the stars. All right, we're going <laughs> to. I got to go to. You're lying. Oh, <laughs> so do I. You know, Kevin, uh, yeah. did, you know, you were talking about like the who, what, and where and stuff. And I um, personally, um, like, I feel like um, the who is uh, a lot of, I feel like it's it's um I feel like the who really is the relationship and it's and the relationship really is how we feel about each other so I I feel like a lot of times people get caught up in like having to say like in the first line or two like uh hey boss I'm this okay son or whatever to kind of say the relationship mm-hmm. and um and i feel that that's I, I i don't feel that that leads to anything um and i try to get people to not talk and uh to see each other and um and to and to feel something toward the other person and before you even say a line to use an object and in the way you use that object, express how you feel toward the other person. Mm. Um, and so I feel like I feel like that is the relationship. It's the way we feel toward each other in this present moment. Do you moment. think by the end of the scene, everyone should know all those other details, or is that inconsequential? No, I think everyone does know um, those things. And um, uh, it, it's, uh, I think it was Peter Brook, I don't know. Author um, of The Empty Space and yeah. other theater theory books. Yeah, if you, if, if you see it, we'll see it. Mm. If, you, if you feel it, we'll feel it. So if you are up there holding, uh, you know, an imaginary cup of coffee or whatever, but it's, but it's real for you and you, uh, I guess this is, uh, what is this, Bill Esper, you know the um, the reality of doing mm-hmm. right, and so if you endow that that object with with the reality, uh, then uh, you'll you'll talk about group mind. You'll tap into the group mind of everyone present in the room, including the audience. In the audience, yeah, um, the technician, whatever. We'll, we'll all be there together, and we'll we'll have that experience with you. The usher. And that's the that's the wild thing is that. That it's an imaginary object, and that's what's really magical is that that through this freaking imaginary thing, we are triggering. You know, somebody's mouth might even water. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we're we're really uh, tapping into it, and I feel like that we as a society, you know, I don't. This isn't a bad thing. I just think it's reality that um, we are. Uh, I, I th- for me, like to get people to tap into the abstract part of themselves. People come into classes or whatever, and they're in that verbal kind of concrete uh, part, right? Everything is verbal and concrete and everything. And, um, and I think people think it's weird, you know, like to, to, uh, to go to the abstract, um, you know, to see an imaginary, like people think, I'm, I think sometimes my students think I'm crazy because I, I'm really sort of encouraging them to 
see this imaginary stuff that's you know that's present and um so i think that that kind of that those imaginary objects and stuff like that i think those are key to the who or key to the relationship because um it's we show how we feel toward each other by the way we we relate to each other in any given moment Hmm. anyway that's my whole spiel. That's a pretty good spiel. Love it. Pat, do you have a spiel? You know what, Pat? We cut you off when you were going to tell the Dell story before. Do you have oh, a, do you have a Dell, Dell. Dell Close oh, story? Oh, where do I start? Improv I have guru. so many Dell stories. Dell Close. Uh, Dell Close. You studied with Dell. I remember Dell once said, um, he said, uh, can you play me out? Ladies and gentlemen, Patrick McCartney's got to get back to doing whatever someone does when quarantined. And then there were two. Kevin, I just checked checked my the messages on my phone, and New York City is now experiencing wind gusts in excess of 40 miles an hour. That's crazy. Um, I heard helicopters and sirens... Um, which you always hear in New York City, but th- these the sirens days meaning like, you're you're talking about mermaids. Yep, the siren song. Singing the siren mermaids. song. So, do you have any other uh, characters you've been doing around the house? Any new ones come up? Um, you know, around the house, uh, as you know, I do bundles, and bundles is the guy who does the laundry. Yep. And um, any other? I when Una was very very little. Um, I used to have a character called the stupid babysitter Mm -hmm. and, uh, the stupid babysitter, uh, was me and, uh, and I guess it was a she, but, uh, it was just like this vibe, this really horrible babysitter. And I would go like, do you, do you still have homework? And I would like throw her books on the floor and she would just laugh so hard. She would be like, do the stupid babysitter. I was like, nah. <laughs> so horrible. I miss that babysitter. Do, yeah. That's funny. Um, Any, do you what? Do you have any characters? No, I, I've been wrecking my brain since we last podcasted about like characters I do. I do a lot of like singing and making up songs around the house. You know, like if I'm making pancakes, I might just start singing, I'm making pancakes Saturday morning, meal for the family. And then I will be singing that all day. I sort of perseverate on on that. Um, It might be the same melody as we're doing different things, like going to the park Saturday afternoon as a family. How how are you dealing with the uh, the stay-at-home thing? Like what's... Like, how do you feel about it? I, I, I know it's like, um, it's so, the whole thing is so tragic and so uh, horrible. But I'm wondering, like, what, like, how do you, um, how are you coping with it? Uh, ha- has anything, like, come up for you, like, that's... Oh, uh, well, I mean, this is totally off improv. Um, no, but this but is it... maybe sort of explaining to the audience, like, we have these actual conversations in real life and it helps us as improvisers at least know and trust each other more right um so the honest answer is last night i woke up in the middle of the night and i've had three sleepless nights in a row which i haven't we're it's may uh 4th may the 4th be with you as we're recording this and, it's my brother's birthday i have to call him oh happy birthday and you know so we've been at this for 
has it been two months? I don't even know how many days it's been. We started around March 12th. It was like March 14th was like York. the official, I think. Yeah, I think we started a little bit early. We started a few days early in my house. Me too. Um, just because we knew it was coming. Uh, and my daughter got off school early and my wife got off school early and whatever. But um, So it's been a while, a um, month and a half. And I, I'm sure like everyone has similar experiences. It's usually like three okay days and then one day that's sort of off the rails. Um, but the, I've had three sleepless nights, which I've never been a, a, a great sleeper. I'm, I'm a night person, always have been, you know, which is why I'm suited for improv. You, you remember when we used to do midnight shows? Mm-hmm. And then we would go out afterwards. Like I remember you um, you produced the midnight uh, short play. Yeah, we would do festival. short plays at midnight. The, the title of the play festival was Midnights. We did it once a quarter. Um, and the show didn't start till midnight. Now I think back on that, I'm like, we were insane. We didn't go on stage until midnight. Um, but you know, that, that, that's my natural rhythm is, 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 is working late. So, um, but since I had a kid and I got to get her to school and stuff like that, I've had to adjust. I've during quarantine, I've swung hard back to the late night me Mm. in that I'm having sleepless nights. I'm waking up at like three in the morning till five in the morning. And last night, actually, I woke up and had these incredible chest pains like I've never had before. Oh, my God. But I, I know. And it should have been terrifying. I should have been like waking everyone up like, I got to go. But I sort of was just sort of like, all right, we're in quarantine. I read way too much news about our incompetent, incompetent government here in the States. And I'm like, I'm clearly having some sort of physiological uh, s- stress response. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, I picked up my iPad and started playing the ticket to ride app and and just tried to like tell myself i'm not like a, a buddhist i have no buddhist training but if i were to pick any religion this podcast brought to you by religion i would pick um buddhism because they sort of they're they're very keen on like your emotions are just emotions they're not the truth just experience it so i just sort of tried to sit there and go like all right this is what i'm feeling uh, I'll always remember waking up in the middle of the night with with chest pains, and maybe that'll wake, make its way into an improv scene or 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 a short play or, or something uh, at some point. But honestly, Matt, to answer the question clearly and directly, I'm doing podcasts for the first time, and that mm-hmm. that's been very it's very fun. It's been good to feel productive. Yeah, but you know, it, it's interesting because I think that like I, I, with Centralia, we we do explore like a lot of. Uh, uh, socioeconomic, whatever, um, injustices. I, I think that we kind of come at it from like sort of like a, we're, I, th- I think we're sort of anti-corporate in a way. Yeah. Um, Which and, explains uh, our lack of corporate success. Yeah. And Kevin, talk about this. Like, like everyone talking about the, the economy is so strong and all this stuff. Well, wow, for a strong economy, it really, it really went to its knees like in days, right? you know? And like, yeah, well, capitalism, ah, yeah, this, this, yeah, it's great, it's whatever. But man, it just did, it didn't really take a whole lot for it to collapse. Uh, and and, and when that collapses, you know, our, our society and our politeness collapse as well, that we've got armed militias showing up at state houses. Like what kind of system allows that to happen instantaneously? And the, the whole idea that these people, they were like all, 
I'm sh- I'm I imagine that they're like the type the survivalists who have like bunkers and all kinds of canned goods stored up and everything, and they're like ready for you know to hunker down and everything. And they're like the first ones that are snapping. Like they're the, that's hilarious, they're right? They're like the first ones that be like, "It's been three days. I need my rights okay. back." Pied wheat and beans from a can. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, this is a, this is a totally different conversation. But I, um, it's not. But it's, it's actually. A, oh, uh, oh, I disagree. Um, yeah, I, no, I it think, is. No, I think I was just going to circle back to like, how would having a conversation like this inform your improv? Like when we would go out, because we do have these kind of conversations all the time, often just before we step on stage. How does that manifest in a show? Well, we turn it on its head. So we'll be like guys uh will get be like guys in the bunker and or whatever and then going like all right well i gotta go out for i gotta go home now guys or whatever you know like we sort of um we i think we would use those characters and um right or we'd be like uh, a suburban mom who's like honey i'm gonna go build a bunker you know like we sort of we play opposites you know like someone we wouldn't expect building a bunker or build a bunker or the guys who've built a bunker would want to put on a musical while they're down there. That to me right, is like a exactly. very Centralia, you know, how are we going to spend our time yeah. now that we're down here for the apocalypse? And then they put on the musical, yeah. but then there's no funding for the musical. So then maybe they got to like do a bake sale or something. Yeah, then they got to go out um, and get ingredients. Do you remember when we did the, the uh, it was the, it was the homeschooled kid who uh, was graduate, it was like his homeschool graduation. Yep. And then he was applying for an internship uh, and his dad worked from home also, so he was applying for... That was a rare show for us in that we were doing... The, the People's Improv Theater used to have an annual festival where they would get sketch people and improv people together, and they would enter in a competition. And the improv people would have to write sketches, and the sketch people would have to write improv. I may be a little fuzzy on the rules, but we had to go backstage, and we had like mm-hmm. 10 minutes to write right. sketches. And then we'd come out and basically improvise on a scenario. Yeah. And that's where this bit came from. And there was, I know there were spirit animals involved. It was insane. It was insane. But yeah, a kid was homeschooled and then got a job also at home. His dad gave him a job at his, at his firm. He was an intern. He was an intern in his own house because he was going to his dad worked from home. I don't know how the spirit animals happened, but my spirit animal was my own grandmother. Yeah. Who Jay Jay played my grandmother, who's my spirit animal. Funny. That was a great that was a great set. Yeah. Wish we had it recorded. Yeah, it's but in the don't. ether. That well, that's the other thing about improvisation is that it's like, uh, you know, you do it once or whatever, and you, you know, you have this really cool experience, and then like you leave, and you're like, yeah, that was really cool, and then the next day you wake up, and you're like, oh my gosh, can we do that again? Oh my god, right. It's crazy. So uh, listen, we're we're cool. at, we're at an hour. Let's do this. Thanks for hanging on, Matt. Uh, you and me, we're the diehards. Um, you know, I wanted to talk to you about that, about the other yeah, guys. Right? Uh, no, um, it's just but, and, and it's, it's our first time, like all four of us together. We figured it out. We figured out how to do it. Um, it took a quarantine to get us together uh, on a podcast. But um, since this podcast, this episode is brought to you by Religion. Could you tell us what the one true religion is? The one true religion is love, Mulfrey. Oh, snap. Oh, you took it. You spun it. Um, that was some sincerity. That should have been on Jay's episode on sincerity. But we'll leave it here in the group mind episode. 
Um, Matt Higgins, thanks for coming out. Thanks for staying late. Kevin Higgins, you are so welcome. Uh, <laughs> what's our outro music? Is it this? Yeah. That's good. Some, some good outro music. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Centralia Podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode about improv. If you like improv, uh, be sure to tell your friends. Like and sub- sub- pers- prescribe. What's prescribe, the word? Prescribe, yeah. Wash prescribe. your hands, everybody. Wash your hands, everybody. Um, you can also, on our page on anchor.fm, if you want to support this podcast directly, you can donate right there. And it all goes towards keeping us in the podcast game. Bill Viola's whipped out his checkbook. He's still using a checkbook? Come on, Bill Viola. Yeah, a big one. All right, Matt, I'll see you later. Okay, take care. Bye. Later.